All right, welcome back to Talking Backwards. That, of course, is the Lindy Hop performed by Duke Ellington and his orchestra in 1935. I'm Dave Jackson, joined by Patrick Mahan. Hey, everybody. And Tyler Mullins. Tyler, big time birthday boy Mullins. Yeah, it's Tyler's birthday. It is. Happy birthday, buddy. That's fantastic. This is our gift to you. Great. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take the cash. Oh. Oh, Oh, Can you really put a price on something like this? I can. The path to the Black Lodge. You can't. There's no way. (laughs) Not this episode. Tyler felt some emotions this episode. Yeah. We watched it together. I think we all did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We all know how much. I'm guessing Tyler does not want to make love with this episode. (laughs) He certainly doesn't. No. Um, Oh, no. Yep. So this is season two, episode 20. Excuse me. Man. (laughs) Actually. Actually. It is. I don't even know what you say here. It's episode 40, but episode 12. It is, I don't know. It is episode 27, season 2, episode 20, but 28th overall. Jesus. It was written by Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls and directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal. Yes. That's Jake's Stephen. father. That's right. And Maggie. Yeah, I looked that up just to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, is it really? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were just saying it to be funny. Yeah. No. Yeah. For sure. That's... But no, you you actually nailed it on the head. Well, I'm uh, smarter the... than I look. Yeah. Same thing with the Deschanel's. Like, there's a lot of pedigree going on in this. Yeah. This TV series. For sure. Mm-hmm. Dave, before we deep dive in, as we do, uh, last yes. week you were so pleased that we saw the grand return of the gazebo. Yes. And I was doing. <laughs> Tyler, don't laugh. This is not. This is not funny. It is um, hilarious. I was doing some research. I want to point out and give a shout out to uh, Stephen Miller. He runs a Twin Peaks blog. It can be found at twinpeaksblog.com. This guy, uh, he is the ultimate Twin Peaks fan. He's got pictures in great detail. Challenge of every uh, location and prop like that. This was the guy that had the little Elvis prop page where I found that. You know, many months oh, wow. ago. Um, but man, this guy has a whole page dedicated to the gazebo and I only came across it cause I was looking for a, a picture of the gazebo, uh, when I was editing our video for, uh, talking foreheads this week, cause I threw a picture up when you mentioned the gazebo. Um, right. so I was, you know, looking and all of a sudden I didn't get very far down the page and I found out that, uh, in November of 2018, um, the gazebo burned down. <laughs> oh, no. set it ablaze are you seeing it in our message arson i'm pulling it up now yeah the picture comes from a new york times article um about how the fire impacted this popular <laughs> california wedding destination oh that is awesome yeah <laughs> Uh, okay, it's awesome in the way that the Hindenburg being on fire was awesome. That was cool. Like, this man. is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. So Dave, unfortunately, this is terrible. you can't go visit this gazebo. You could a couple years ago. It's final moments captured on film this way. Yeah. This is terrible. This is this is exactly like 
the two guys hugging on top of that windmill that's on fire. Yeah. So I'm sorry to do this it's, to you, but I thought you needed to know. We're going to have to talk about the Black Lodge. And we're, again, like we're just keeping it rolling. We're picking up right where we left off. Uh, Ted's dead. Ted Raimi's dead face in rusty. this chess piece costume I still. I mean Rusty. Rusty Tomaski? <laughs> yeah, we found, we found out his name. We find he out. hated his parents. Yeah, we found out. We found out a lot about this guy. He's got. He's got a backstory. He's in a. Yeah, they they really build him up. Yeah, he, now that he's gone, yeah. <laughs> after appearing suddenly into our lives and was yeah. taken from us as quickly as the wind blew in. We didn't know anything about him. This guy uh, was just passing through Twin Peaks. Um, he's in a band, heavy metal band. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish we'd gotten the name of the band. I wish we'd figured out what, which instrument he played. Tambourine. Instead, we got we got the name of several locations. Electric tambourine. Around Twin Peaks. We, uh, we got Knife River. We got, uh, what was another is one? Is that Moses where Lake. Wally's is? Maybe. We don't know. We don't know the geographical relation of any of these places. Mm. We got Pearl Lake. It was Moses Lake, right? Moses Lake? Yes. Or Moses Valley or something like that? <laughs> Well, let's not forget. So this this takes place in in '89. You know, uh, I don't know if you guys how familiar you are with music history and the Grammys, but that was like the first time they did the uh, heavy metal recording award, in which Jethro Tull beat Metallica at the Grammys. So I'm betting Rusty was a flute player. Oh, he was a flautist for He's sure. A flautist. Yes. It's all about that heavy metal flute. Yeah. That, I yeah. Mean, I'm just given the time. That's my guess. And his look, his overall vibe. <laughs> he is kind of fluty looking. Yeah. <laughs> See that guy over there? He looks kind of fluty, doesn't he? <laughs> now, apparently his band was uh, headed to play a gig in Knife River when some guy came out of the woods dressed like Bigfoot was the impression I got. What did he say? Oh, some... he, said he, he said he came out of the woods like Bigfoot or something and that he was wearing some kind of crazy suit. Oh, so yeah. I, I assume it was Wyndham Earl dressed as Bigfoot saying, hey, you guys want some beer? I just imagined, like, a Jacobian-style three-piece suit or something when he said crazy suit. Well, he's also dressed up as... The horse. Yeah, the horse later, so it's like, okay. Just the worst Bigfoot costume. (laughs) He could have have a Bigfoot costume. It's just a brown sheet with Bigfoot written on it and, like, big Sharpie. Apparently he had parents in Moses Lake, was where they're from. And as he's kind of talking about rusty tomaski's backstory you start to hear the saw i guess they're trying to cut him out of the chess piece uh, we do we do need to talk about how he gets moved out of the gazebo they just rock him back and forth they just rock him back and forth till he falls over enough to get on somebody's shoulder nope. and is that the bomb squad that's there yeah i, I recognize those it, people they Their don't have a bomb suck. squad so these are just lawmen yeah. just local Wearing lawmen what Jack- jackets <laughs> they're like all silver and then they have those weird face shields yeah so it, it makes you think that maybe this is like some kind of hazmat squad <laughs> but i i also feel like these aren't necessarily the pros i think they just had some of these suits yeah like in a closet somewhere True. <laughs> so, like hey we need some help getting this couch size chess piece out of a gazebo like only if i get to wear the suit deal bust out the astronaut suit and i'll do it yeah, so the, the saw starts whirring up, so I guess they can cut him out of it. And this is when the roadie starts to cry. Which makes Andy and start to cry. Andy's <laughs> right there with him, feeling that same energy. It looked like he was cracking up for a while. I mean, Harry Goaz probably did lose it a couple times. 
Feldman this scene. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But uh, that's that's what we get out of that. Uh, I know when when I feel sad personally, I need somebody to bring me breakfast. Yeah. And Hawk is the person to fill that role. Who is it that Hawk is feeding breakfast to? I, I didn't ever actually put it together. So somebody came in, some weird guy came in that she didn't recognize. That seemed really sad, so Hawk fed him breakfast. I don't know. It's probably, it probably his was friend, it? Rusty's friend. His... It may have been, yeah. yeah. That that would make sense. Weird looking guy. She didn't know him. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But, uh, this is uh, Lucy talking to Andy. And uh, hey, right Lucy. after she tells him about hey, after she tells him about that going on, uh, she asks him how much he knows about saving the planet. A lot, apparently. <laughs> I know it's in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, people are just throwing beer cans in Pearl Lake. They got to knock that off. We're also coming up on the Lucy appointed Dad Day, D Day. D Day is upon us. Dad Day, when she decides who the father of her child is. The time is fast approaching for Lucy to decide who she is going to deem the father of her child. And she's also decided to join the Miss Twin Peaks competition. Because they need the money. And a father. Yep. So I guess anyone so, can join this competition. Yeah. Well, any Miss. Man, I wish Denise was here. I was just going to say, I wish Denise <laughs> would sign up. Yeah. Get some diversity in there. Maybe, maybe she'll show up. I feel like the next scene can be glossed over pretty quick. It's just... Jack asking where Aud- or if Randy has seen Audrey. Yeah, what really stills this shot is the background character, the lady walking through, who is just wearing heels on hardwood and is slapping so loud across the room. <laughs> like, Jack and Randy are trying to have an exchange, and there's just... Yeah, we do have Doc Hayward and uh, Ben with his shirt off. Shirt stays off. Yep. Yep. It does. As a, a commanding easel of a ferret in the background. It is a pine weasel. It is a ferret. Uh, wow. <laughs> ferret weasel? But uh, Doc and Ben clearly know exactly what's going on with Donna. Yep. And I don't. I only suspect. You suspect well. And Ben is... I think he's trying to justify it by saying it's the right thing to do. Like it's time to be honest and that he's trying to be good. But uh, Doc has a cool line here about uh, goodness and Ben being like a time bomb. Yeah, he doesn't trust him. Yep. But uh, he asks him to stay away from Eileen, but Ben will not because he feels that he is being just and righteous. Yeah, and you can tell he doesn't know what to think about this as he leaves. When he's like talking to Jack, you can still tell that he's like shaken up. Yeah. by this conversation and the whole time i'm just waiting for him to put a shirt on <laughs> <laughs> he's got that weird like willem dafoe physique that's all like like 20s muscle man barrel chest but tiny shoulders and uh one interesting note here when uh john justice wheeler walks in he he says that he he met donna and that she's a lovely girl. Mm-hmm. When did they meet? When did they meet? Probably on his jet. I couldn't tell if it was like years ago, like maybe when he saw Audrey or something when they were kids, or if it was like during this trip. Were they in the same play? I mean, I guess they easily could have run into each other when Donna was spying on, when she was spying on Ben Horn and the Triple H. Time to play the game! 
And then he probably walked up to see Audrey, and Audrey introduced her. Okay, that's it. I got it. That's how it happened. Done. Yeah. You connected the dots. (laughs) Perfect. Mystery solved. And that's our show. All right. I'm just a regular Agent Cooper. Mm. (laughs) No. But but, uh, Jack does come in as Doc Hayward's heading out. He asks Ben, or, or sorry, rather, Ben asks Jack if he really has to go, if he can't stay around because he needs him for his big stop Ghostwood project. But Jack has to go because a partner of his was murdered. Yikes. Yeah. Not just a friend. More than that, a partner. A lover? What happened there? Um, it was Ted Raimi. <laughs> I thought it about was that. Rusty. I was like, like what, would, what would be the odds? Like, what if he had just like struck out? What if he had struck out from his and Billy Zane's enterprise to pursue his career in music and just ended up immediately getting murked? I think that's what happened. That's canon. I'm leaving that in. Great. Uh, we have a short scene of Donna in what I assume is the Hayward attic going through an old photo album. Yes. Where she finds her birth certificate. And she has no father. No father listed on the certificate. Blank check. What if she could just write in whoever she wanted it to be? <laughs> and then it was just a done legal deal. Or she should <laughs> She just wrote, Did you say my dad. My dad. Nailed it. Then we get some excellent photos. Yes. Egg-cellent. Deviled excellent. Yes. She's standing uh, up. We see Eileen when she was not in a wheelchair. Yeah. In these photos. Do we know that? Yeah. Oh, I see. Unless somebody's just really making the effort to hold her upright. Well, I think she like was he's... probably able to stand. What happened to her? We don't know. You know. Tell me. I am not at liberty to divulge that information. Just seeing Ben Horn with the mustache is incredible. <laughs> the dad stash. It is incredible. <laughs> it's he's almost unrecognizable. I want a Ben Horn prequel series. Who would you who would you cast as Ben Horn in this series nowadays? Jonah Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Channing Tatum. Perfect. Perfect. Michael Sarah. <laughs> oh, Michael Sarah, Twin Peaks. Kyle Mooney. <laughs> That'd be great. I can almost see Kyle Mooney as a young Ben Horn. With the right styling, I could see it working. Yeah. Well Michael Sarah Michael Sarah, I'm just thinking of like when the uh when he's got the mustache and uh Oh yeah. Arrested development. Yeah. Yeah. That's just what I'm thinking of. Uh let's see, real quick, Hawk scoops Audrey up as she oh. arrives back from Seattle. Hawk is just sitting there reading a book about owls. <laughs> yep. Because you got to get an owl reference in you there. You know where That's his priorities right. lie. Yes. With the He's owls. got his eyes on the, the prize. Owls. You got those owl eyes. Owl yeah, he, eyes. <laughs> he has scoops. Oh, cry him. Should we just talk about Superbad now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, should probably, we should probably just go ahead and heel turn into a Superbad podcast. <laughs> That would be super badass. Audrey gets scooped up by Hawk, uh, takes her to see Cooper, who needs to see her right away. It is urgent. Swoops down and grabs her in his talons. What? (laughs) (laughs) It just came down. Audrey, (laughs) snatched. (laughs) Flapping his arms like wings. That's why they call me the Hawk. Oh, that would be amazing. (laughs) The things that I would do if I had the know-how to (laughs) alter video. Right. 
But again, Ben is trying to convince Jack to stay, but Jack has to go take his partner's place, but does manage to leave a note for Audrey. That's why you always leave a note. Return of the notes. I'm leaving on a jet plane. Yeah, what did this note say? Like, hey, I'm leaving at (laughs) at five sharp. As soon as you pull up, I'll be... Catch me at the bang jet if you can. Was he just letting her know he was going to be back? Because I don't understand what the, like, how long would he be gone? They did say that he, they said he promised he would be back, but I never heard this promise. No. Guys, who's Cappy? (laughs) Cappy. Cappy is a bookhouse boy. Cappy is. He's one of the best of them. He's up there. Harry's little brother. He's up there with Joey Paulson. He does look like. (laughs) We've got this go-getter bookhouse boy named Cappy. Which I was looking him up. Apparently he's been in an episode before. No. As a named role? Same guy, I guess. Um, Is this the guy that got clubbed watching Truman? <laughs> it's not. No. no, no, no. I thought his hair was too big. But Cappy was in episode 13, Demons, one of our favorites. Yes, Demons was great. I believe it's... It, no, no, this makes sense, because remember, Tyler points it out. I say, I, isn't Harry in there with him? And you're like, no, it looks like Harry. It's when they brought Audrey oh. in. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he so was in the background. Cappy is a bookhouse boy there. Ah, that's Cappy. Yep. Welcome to the team. I was about to say, welcome, it's Cappy. his first appearance. Maybe he was Cap there, now that he's older. Cappy? But, uh, <laughs> Cappy is given an assignment by Briggs. Uh, he's got to go do some research. This is not the first time he's going to have to go do some research for somebody this episode. Nope. Briggs also has, on tape... Wyndham Earl uh, talking about Project Blue Book, and this Wyndham Earl is different from oh, the one yeah. that we have in the series. Yeah, pre-psycho Wyndham Earl. Yeah, he sounds very down to earth. Uh, I mean, he's talking about insanity, great, just crazy stuff. Uh, talking about these uh, sorcerers who do evil for the sake of evil, called Dugpas. Uh, compares them to the Kali worshippers in India. Uh, Kali, of course, the goddess of destruction for anybody who is the inquiring mind. If you did not know that, I don't want to be your friend. Uh, Hadoi. Four arms, each one holding an instrument of destruction. This is just common knowledge. People know this. And a flute. That's one of the instruments of destruction. (laughs) It's a double. Is it? What? Yeah, Rusty's a flute double. He's a flute player. Well, that's not. You can't just make up doubles. (laughs) Just because I said something. <laughs> it's a double for us. But yeah, Earl's talking crazy on this tape. Uh, talks about the Dugpas, these evil sorcerers who... Does he say something specifically about an entrance, like a portal to this world? Yes. And that their their power, their evil energy manifests itself into a tangible place that he believes is called the Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. Yes, or is commonly referred to as the Black Lodge. Yes, this caused Coop to kind of perk up, and he, he employs Cappy to research the Dugpas. Yeah, this tape has led Cooper to believe that Earl is not here specifically for revenge against him. That might just be a red herring, a fish he doesn't quite care for. Yep. That he is here for the Black Lodge. Earl is listening in to this entire conversation, and he knows How something the... they don't know. Yeah, but how did the bonsai tree get moved? You pick it up? Did <laughs> you take it with no. you? No. Why would you take it into every room? I got beef. I got beef. Elaborate on that. 
I don't have the episode pulled up, but do you see the bonsai tree in this shot when they're in there talking? Yes. Mm-hmm. So who moved it? Was it Cappy? Cappy, you had one job. Hasn't it been I, in this room? It was in Sheriff Truman's office because it was from when, Josie. When Gordon screamed into it? Josie. So maybe, well, yeah. So, yeah. How, I see your face. Who? <laughs> we're getting there. How? <laughs> how did this end up in this room? I don't get it. Are you really that hung up about it? Wyndham Earl can just listen to any conversation in any room at the sheriff's station. Did he send bonsai trees to every room? You know what? This is where the tree is because the plot demands it. I guess. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry about the bonsai tree, Pat. It's okay. Yeah, Earl has been listening in, but he is listening in on their entire conversation. He knows something they don't know. I want to talk about the difficulty that this lady has eating pie at the double R. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so. we've come, Tyler's come up with a name for it. Cherry pie disease. CPD. <laughs> CPD. CPD. Yeah. CPD 19. Yeah. It is sweeping <laughs> Twin Peaks. And I am very concerned. It's, it's quite the noise that it puts out, too. Every time someone handshake, you just hear this eerie sound. It's like tuning fork. Yeah. Tyler, the look on your face during the scene was hilarious. Who is this one? <laughs> yeah, a lot of attention called to her. Like, she is one of three people whose hands shake this episode, and she's the only one we don't know. I think it's just to point out that it's happening to everyone. Yeah. But she's just trying to eat some of this fantastic, world-famous cherry pie at the double R. We're sure Norma made it, but where is Norma again? Absent from this episode. Where's Big Ed? Where's Big Ed? Is that who was supposed to have been... Play the hits! ...yelling from the kitchen? You know, I have it noted that I don't know who's calling to Shelly. No, it wasn't Heidi. There was no accident. Oh, we, we... we have a clear shot of a new double R employee that we've never seen before. Is it the same one so, that brought the pie out last week to Shelly and Gordon and Cooper and Annie? Maybe so. I think so. Let's yeah, go with that. Like, yeah, we have this heretofore unnamed double R waitress that uh, is taking care of service at this time of the day. and Poisoning old women. It's got to be her because Shelly's not working. She's sitting here with Bobby uh, trying to figure out how to kick butt for the environment. In kind of some throwaway scene here, we have Bobby and Shelly talking about her speech for the Miss Twin Peaks contest. And uh, what I actually did take away from the scene is that Bobby actually apologizes for the way he's behaved. It's a trap. I liked this. I think it seems genuine. I do too. Yeah. I I liked the reasoning too. I thought it was great. He was like, once I saw Gordon Cole (laughs) kissing you. Or yeah, old, old old business Icarus here got a little too close to the sun. Yeah, he and did. now that now that he's been humbled and fallen back down, he's like, man, if I can lose you to Gordon Cole, yep, I need to change my act up. Yeah, I liked that a lot. I appreciated that from his character that he actually apologizes and it seems sincere. Yeah, and Shelley's into think it. That's how she, they wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> we like Bobby again, and it was how it was acted as well. No, we don't. We don't. Sorry. No, I. But the character of Bobby is not redeemed in my eyes. I just appreciated that he did this. Not yet. Uh, yeah, that's when the phone rings as they're they're trying to share a kiss, and this whoever this is waitress starts calling from the back, saying that uh, somebody's on the phone for her and it's important, and she's got to answer that phone right away. So the next scene is a little confusing to me. 
because I was under the impression that Mayor Milford, yes. Doc Hayward, and Pete Martell were the judges for the Miss Twin Peaks contest. I think they're the something else. Are they just the committee to... That's the word I was looking for. To yes. sign people up? They're, okay. They were the so. round one judges. Gotcha. So they were trying to get through to the... And the mayor is just on this one. To the Simon Cowles, Howie Mandels of the Twin Peaks world. The the mayor is on all panels because he's the mayor. But uh, this is uh, this is Mayor Milford and Black Widow Lana sitting at this booth. And he announces to her that Norma, Dick and Dwayne himself are going to be the judges. So she should have it in the bag because... Dick seems like the type that would fall for her feminine wilds. Yes. If she wears a dress with a slit cut all the way up to Seattle. <laughs> so, yeah, Dick, I'm still just... Sh- Seattle. I guess Dick's just very involved in the community because he is, as, as Lucy points out, he's still in men's fashion. But mm-hmm. yet we've seen him host wine tastings, host fashion... Charity events. Yeah, charity events. Fashion and, shows. And now he's gonna be a judge for miss twin now peaks. he's a now he's a judge for miss twin peaks how did this person suddenly appear into our lives and become a prominent social figure dick tremaine occupation public figure yep <laughs> dick tremaine is definitely an influencer in the world of twin peaks at this time yes yes he is but uh we also have an exchange here where lana says that she will not marry Dwayne until she wins the competition now he says that she's a shoe in and dick i get but how is she a, a done deal with Norma? Wouldn't it just be two out of two three? Two out of three. Is that it? Is it a majority vote? I would assume so. She would win? Well, I don't like that. We don't make the I rules, feel like Dave. If you are going to have anybody represent your town, it needs to be a unanimous vote. It needs to be a thumbs up across the board. Chuck Norris and everybody. Hey, I agree. You would think. See, the next shot is Cooper and the Queens. That was a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cooper is here with the Queens from Wyndham Earl's deck. We've got Shelly. We've got Donna. we got Audrey. Cooper and the Queens. Ooh, that was good. Thank you. I came up with it myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I asked them if they've run into anybody peculiar, personable, or just plain puzzling recently. And they all have. It's true. Shelly's is kind of... It's a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody left me a $10 tip. That's kind of weird. That's the only (laughs) unusual thing that's happened to her. (laughs) Like, you know... Sorry you feel like you don't deserve a $10 tip. Yeah, yeah. so big tips on, on small bills are rare... They are unusual, but as a as a former <laughs> server, I can tell you this happens, and it is surprising. So yeah, Shelley recognizes the handwriting of the poem as Leo's, which Tyler, I know you didn't buy. No, she I did she not. She recognized it right away. She's lying. And uh, She's lying. I've, actually, I've actually somebody told her to say that. <laughs> I've actually got a couple of notes about Audrey here. Uh, one is the fact that she just looks annoyed at this briefing. But and amazing. I feel like she's not going to listen to any of these no. regulations. She's not. She should, though, given like what already what she's dealt with with Cooper in the past. She should know that if he's telling her this, she should probably She's okay. over Cooper. 
She has grown up. She's into losers now. <laughs> She's into losers with jets. Well, it's, it's We've to already do. been over this. So we could. Both she wants to make love jet. with. But there's not much else to say here except that why doesn't Cooper tell them exactly what's going on? Why, why doesn't he just come out and say like, "Yo, my former partner has kind of lost his marbles. He definitely has a plan for all of you. I know who he is, and I know who he's coming after." Probably because he doesn't want them to think this is all his fault. It's just well, like it, uh, it's just like old but Jean it wouldn't be his said. Fault. Yeah, he came to this town and messed everything up. Before you come here, <laughs> the dream become the nightmare. <laughs> what happened to him? He died. Jean died. Yeah, let's take a moment for Jean. No, I'm good. When did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> There's the whole shootout at the Dead Dog Farm. At uh, Dead Dog Farm. That's With right. Denise. And, yeah. And Denise busted in and distracted him. Yeah. And the shootout ensued. And then you thought Hawk was a turncoat. Yep. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> I'm still not convinced. You didn't even remember the scene. Uh, next is uh I didn't. A Leo cleaning a table saw while with some really weird shavings. Yeah, I, th- this these did not come from the saw. Yeah, this is not sawdust. <laughs> this is this is like wood chippings you would put at the bottom of a gerbil cage <laughs> that wipe just clean off. Yeah, like I've operated a table saw before, not to flex my man card, but I've done it. It does not look like this when you wipe a table no. saw clean. This is not the residue that is left. Uh, There's also no path to the black lodge. The wood have gone. Mm-hmm. Like the whole table is covered with sawdust. Yeah. It's like you just <laughs> held some giant block on top of it that blew off in perfect chunks and then just picked it back yeah. up and just whatever happened, happened. That's right. Now, Leo is wiping that off while Windermerle rambles about Kali worshippers or forces of evil or some damn thing. And Leo recognizes Shelly on one of the queen cards. Now, when he didn't before, when he picked her out... I think he kind of did, didn't he? He kind of made a look that made it seem like he did. Because Windermere uh, does say Shelley. I think he was still pretty well donkey-brained at that point. Maybe. I think, like, he, I think he recognized her. I think he's just looking at it again and then just missing her. It's offensive to donkeys. You're talking backwards. We mean no offense to any donkeys or donkey-like animals. <laughs> now, he recognizes Shelley on the card and even says aloud, Shelley... And I think he says, love her or love Shelly. Yeah, why does he care about her now? That's I think he's trying to kill her. Leo is a complicated person with complicated emotions. He cares about a lot of things. He cares about Shelly. He cares about his favorite blue shirt. <laughs> he cares truckers. about trucks. Four truckers. <laughs> he cares about <laughs> shoes. Ponytail Boots. maintenance has not lost a step. The drip never takes a back seat. Ponytail the ponytail stays on point. <laughs> Band name, call it. <laughs> but so this is when he takes the buzzer out of his pocket yeah. to confront Wyndham Earl, who acts like he's shocked. Like, oh, 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 what have you got there? What are you doing? <laughs> Leo, completely oblivious to the fact that this buzzer is for his own shock collar. Yeah, why does he do that? And he's so dumb. In the most backwards logic I can conceive of. He doesn't. It's like he doesn't know he's wearing a collar. Yeah. He just thinks that this remote. Shocks causes people. shock Boy. to whoever you pointed at. That is so dumb. 
Well, he, I mean, the, the move is to take it and hide it. Like, sure, take it off the table and keep it for yourself. But that's where his strategy should have ended. Yeah, I like, agree. Take away his power to electrocute him. That's great. But this is going to end in just a feedback cycle of <laughs> torture for Leo that he did <laughs> like, not anticipate. Not feel that that's on his neck? Maybe he lost all feeling in his neck. Look, Leo's been through some stuff. He's still trying to put his life back together in his head. And Wyndham Earl has a really cool line, actually, uh, where he says he doesn't think that Leo would really care if Shelley died. He doesn't think he really loves her. And it's time for him to understand the value of hate. That was pretty cool, I thought. Band name called it. The value of hate? Yeah. Was that a Rusty Tomaski's band? <laughs> yeah, value <laughs> Probably. <of hate. laughs> What's up, man? We're value of hate. <laughs> Flute solo. Flute solo. Back to the Great Northern. Oh, well, Jack's packed. He's going to head out. He's got to replace his partner. Just Mrs. Audrey at the Great Northern. Just. Darn. Or Audrey meets with Ben. And asks about Jack, who she just missed. Like, come on, guys. Take a look to the left and to the right before you cross the street. And uh, Ben tries to skirt the question, saying that he wants Audrey to be the spokesperson for Stop Ghostwood. She doesn't want that. Just Jack. Yeah. Where is John Justice Wheeler? He's gone. Well, how long ago did he leave, she asks. And this puts a fire under her. She thinks she can still catch him. Cut to one of the best question mark yes. shots of yes. the episode. Yes. Wait, what are you going to say first? Well, it's about Pete Martell. No, before that. Wait. Something before very that. important before that. What have you got? If I'm correct me if this is the Something wrong place. Yes, there is a. Ben yes, looks back. There's at... a noise, and I associate it with Cooper's dreams and stuff. We've heard this sound before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Ben turns around like he hears it. Like in shock. And then we just cut away and it's never mentioned again. So yeah, we were just, t- Audrey, they were just talking about Stop Ghostwood. What do we know about Ghostwood? Well, we've seen a ghost in Wood. And in the next scene, we're reminded of the, the Ghostwood again. Yes, Josie Packard, the Ghostwood. Was he hearing uh, Josie moaning in the wood? Is that what he heard? Because Pete sees Josie. He thinks in the well, wood. Does he? The because I have a theory about this. I have a theory about this shot. Let's hear it. So we could easily we could easily be led to believe that Pete is seeing Josie's face over the fireplace, but he's also been writing poetry aloud to himself about Josie. So is he just standing here writing another poem? Or does he actually he's still see... working on the same Let me poem. tell you something, right. Dave. I've <clears throat> seen Josie's face in the wood of the Great Northern. So I think it's very, very possible that Pete is seeing the same thing that I saw. So she's not stuck in one drawer knob. She's able to freely travel between all the wood in the Great Northern. Yes. That makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I love that Pete thinks he sees (laughs) Josie in the Ghostwood. That's one of the if he even does this episode. (laughs) Yes. I thought he was just still writing his poem. <laughs> He's been stuck on like the same line for weeks. He's probably going to add that to his phone, to his poem. Oh, Josie, I see your <laughs> face 
in the wood of the Great Northern. And I, I think it's, I think it's left a little ambiguous there for that reason. Well, Audrey interrupts. Yeah, she needs a ride. You. She needs a ride to the airport right now. And do you have a car? This is the I guy you're gonna truck. flag down. I love it. I love this pairing. You're not going to go to one of the many staff members of the Great Northern that you have a repertoire with? and Take your limo. What happened right, to her limo? Yeah, she should have just a free ride. <laughs> have they ever had a scene together before where they've like actually talked and conversed? I don't think so. I don't either. I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a Pete and Audrey scene. I love it. Well, give me more. Yeah, well, you're going to get it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> here in just a little bit. And All right. And old bleeding heart Pete can't help but see a young woman in peril and offer her a ride in not just a car, but a truck. Runs like a dream. Yeah, he's an mm-hmm. old softy. Yeah, he's got a 1968 Dodge D100. Somebody deep dived. <laughs> uh, next is an interesting scene. Uh, so we have the gang kind of gathered around at the station. Uh, by the gang, I mean Truman, Cooper, Andy. Uh, we're trying to decipher the petroglyph. Trying to find out what it's all about. They need to get in touch with Briggs. They haven't heard from him since he headed out when their last meeting. He said he was going to go for a walk in the woods to clear his head. But uh, that nobody's seen him since. So they ask Andy to go call Betty, see if he's made it home yet. While Andy goes off to do that, Cooper and Truman are kind of alone in the room. And Coop confesses that he has been lost in thought about Annie for the last couple of days. Uh, that or he has malaria. Yeah, hmm. This is where we see that Cooper is really, really falling for Annie Blackburn. CPD. <laughs> yeah, then he shows symptoms of CPD as he's <laughs> looking through the blinds and we get the same tuning fork sound and his hand starts to shake. And that's where we leave him. Oh, is that one of the symptoms of CPD? Shake? Tuning forks, yes. Oh, tuning forks, yes. Okay. <laughs> Was the fork she was eating the pie with a tuning fork? In fact, oh. probably not. Uh, <laughs> so this this probably is the best scene in the episode. <laughs> We've got Major Briggs out on his stroll. I get a good, another good look at his tattoo that definitely is not three diamonds stacked on top not, of each other. Yeah. But uh, uh, Briggs has taken an interest in a particular tree to admire. Yeah. Gives it a, gives it a few firm pats. Yeah, what is he doing wandering out here? He's just enjoy he's Clearing just taking in head. the wildlife and the and the trees. These beautiful Douglas firs they have. He takes a liking to this one particular tree and then uh my only note is horse. Horse. <laughs> yeah, this really terrible yes. horse costume kind of saunters up singing home on the range. And I'm sorry, of all of Wyndham Earl's disguises. This is the best. It's Yeah, this is the best one. Uh, by far the most convincing. Absolutely it is. And it's the only one that ever hides his face. <laughs> it's the only one that you couldn't look at immediately and say, oh, that's Wyndham Earl. Yeah. I like that he but he also gives himself away by singing. Briggs doesn't run away either. No, he, he just, just lets this it. happen. Well, did they get all the way here in this costume from the cabin? Or when did, <laughs> at what point did they stop? It's like, all right, all right, all right. You could probably assume the cabin's close by. Let's link up. Also, they would have to just wander the woods until they found Briggs. Yeah. Because they're not small. It's a lo- Hey, it's a large, small town, man. It is. It is. 
But yeah, we've got he's got these two guys in a horse outfit that come up, sing Home on the Range to Major Briggs as he turns around. Uh, it's obviously Wyndham Earl. He produces a dart gun from within the costume and shoots at what I assume to be waist level, but somehow it hits him dead square in the chest. He's <laughs> like got almost to his neck. He's got good Like aim. straight in. It sounded very painful. It did sound really painful, right? But then he just like pulls it out, but he has trouble getting it out. Yeah. Which made it even more painful. Yeah, it means, it means that was deep. Yeah. But yeah, Major Briggs collapses, and Wyndham Roll says to Leo, I think you found your calling. He's a horse's ass. Womp <laughs> We go back to the double R. Back to the double R. We have Coop and Annie having an exchange. Uh, he's asking her about going to learn how to dance or to go dancing and he will teach her and uh, he says something about uh, how she can hear the other side see the other side that's very interesting to me it's very interesting i'm not sure what the reference is as far as they've been quoting authors to each other or notable figures to each other for a while right but this one I, i don't know the origin of but it's very interesting for the series as a whole did anyone else notice that when the new waitress comes out from the back, that the door to the kitchen is extremely loud? I didn't notice. I did not. The background noises in this episode have been so commanding that I haven't been able to ignore them. Speaking of the kitchen door, did anybody see uh, the special listed above the kitchen door? Yes. Tyler, what was it? Squirrel loaf. Mm. Tasty. I think it was a solid $2.50. Wow, that is a steal. I'd pay that for a squirrel loaf. I'll try anything twice. Coop and Annie end up sharing a kiss. Mm -hmm. Coop says Heisenberg, which is a reference to Breaking Bad. (laughs) Yes. It's true. Can't wait for the crossover. Way before it's time. (laughs) But uh, no, there's there's an interesting visual here. As they're sharing a kiss, they end up knocking over a stack of dishes. And there's... Actually, as they're about to kiss, this really sinister music starts. It's, yeah. It started like right when the camera was panning away from them. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Something's up with Annie. Then the dishes break and it cuts to the broken dishes with just this dripping syrup. That's pretty menacing. Yeah. I've never yeah. been menaced by syrup before, but this is. You haven't? I've only been menaced <laughs> by Dennis. <laughs> okay. Walter Matthau. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. But Audrey does make it to Jack's plane because just in time he was he was just about to take off. Man, what perfect timing! What world is this where they just pull up on the <laughs> runway as he's taxiing? Look, down Tyler. The road. Let me Pete. let me explain it to you. Pete knows a guy. It's a large small town. He knows the the runway operator. Pete believes in the power of love, and You're he's going to Tokyo drift my... onto the tarmac. And my Dodge D100 in, I'm going to raise hell. 
are you going to open the door to this tarmac or am I going to have to kick somebody's ass? <laughs> I just see him oh. just blazing in past, just, you know, ripping the gates open of the place and just... Somebody lifted their sunglasses and said, is that chess champ Pete Martell? Open the door! With, like trout <laughs> flying out of the back. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're trying to avoid getting to this, but <laughs> Audrey not. does make it to Jack's plane in time. She does. Uh, flags him down, gets him to stop the plane. Uh, he steps off, and uh, she and she walks up the, the steps to meet him. And uh, he says that he's got to go. She asks if he'll ever be back. And this ends in... Uh, and a bit of an awkward exchange. Tyler, would you like to explain it? <laughs> Perfect. <sighs> like, did that? Did it need to be said? I don't know that it did, but maybe this it was is the, nerves. This is the same same girl we've seen already uh, in Cooper's bed, you know. Yeah, it's just this girl took it upon herself to infiltrate a sex trafficking ring. Yes, to and not have sex. Yeah, to cut off the head of the snake, as it were. Right. right. And is now finding herself is now finding herself in a a much less frightening situation where she seems scared out of her mind. I just don't think it needed to be said unless she's just that nervous. It just came right. out well she obviously is not <laughs> super educated in the ways of no uh, carnal pleasures because i want you to make love at me <laughs> <laughs> her lines are i'm a virgin which kind of takes billy zane by surprise is a little taken aback and she says say more make love with me <laughs> <laughs> and we're laughing but Pete thinks this is beautiful and can't help but shed a few tears for the power of love taking shape here. He's ridiculous. But uh, as he's wiping away a tear, he gets the CPD. He does. His hand starts to tremor. Gets the CPD. I know. So it is upsetting, but it's not as upsetting as how we've got Major Garland Briggs strung up on the wall here. Yeah. Back at Windermere's cabin. Why did they do such a poor job? <laughs> yeah, they've only got one leg on the ground. <laughs> they wanted to make him as uncomfortable as ran, possible. They ran out of rope. I mean, I'm uncomfortable <laughs> as possible. I am. I'm uncomfortable <laughs> seeing him in this position. <laughs> but uh, we got the return of the crossbow, so it wasn't just to kill Ted Raimi. It was for a situation just like this. Should it happen in the future? Should you ever need a human target? But yeah, they've got uh, bricks kind of sprawled out. Like the Vitruvian man, except one leg is firmly planted on the ground and the other is hiked up. And uh, he keeps asking him information about uh, Project Blue Book, about the petroglyphs. But uh, Pat, is Briggs at liberty to divulge that information? No. Yeah, Winnemarle decides that just questioning him like normal isn't going to get him anywhere. So he decides to shoot him full of truth serum, what we assume to be truth serum. I think it's the uh, one-armed man drug. Sure. Oh, I like that. And my reasoning for this is coming up. So he stabs him with it, but he does it in this, his side through his jacket. Yeah. Like he's, that's how you do it. He's strung up. His neck is in clear shot. That's got that tattoo. 
It's in the way. <laughs> I can't get through the scar tissue. <laughs> I just thought it was a weird place to jab him. But jabs him full of serum. It immediately takes effect. It does. So Windermere asks him what his greatest fear is. And Major Briggs' response is the possibility that love is not enough. It's just like, what? this is a That's deep, so this is a deep character. Like he, he's not just this like super secretive space scientist. He, he has a home life and he has, you know, a son and a wife. And I think that that was a nod to the fact that he's not around that much and that he does disappear on occasion. And he thinks that maybe just the fact that they love each other isn't enough to make them a strong family. I think you're right. But he also asks, uh, Earl also asks where he's seen the petroglyph before. And he says that he has seen it in dreams. Mm. That he has seen it beyond the light with the guardian who said that if Jupiter and Saturn meet, they shall receive you. I think this guardian is the yeah, dweller will. on the threshold that Hawk spoke of many moons. I do. I think it is also the cloaked figure that we've seen in the woods and in the montage from last episode. Cloaked figure in the woods. Yes. yes. Dweller on the threshold. Just like in that vision, a couple. So vision, as soon as also... when Cooper and Briggs were out in the woods together, and he stepped away, oh, yeah. and then That's Briggs right. ended up getting taken by the light. We see a cloaked figure in the woods as the light not, is coming in. Not the person that Mike and Bobby saw in the woods when <laughs> Leo was no. threatening. Is somebody else out there? No, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was Leland in that instance. <laughs> but what makes me think that this is uh, the drug that Mike takes that he got shot up with is that shortly after he tells him about that, about the if Jupiter and Saturn meet, they shall receive you, he starts to, it says mumbling in the captions. But it sounds very much like he's sounds very much like he's talking backwards. Huh. Bubble jug. And I discovered a bubble jug. I discovered that in the original script, this line is written out as Tat mug ui ekel se gin mock kikab nielist tat mug ui ekel. Which backwards is? That gum you like is coming back in style. Oh, where have we heard that before? I don't know. I guess Mike. Not Mike. No, the the little guy. Yeah. Yes, the man <laughs> the from guy. another place. <laughs> and then we also yeah. heard um, the waiter say it to Leland after he was offered some gum. Mm-hmm. He said, that was my most favorite mm-hmm. gum in the world. Point being, it has connections with Bob. Yes. yes. Connections to the spirits. Earl doesn't get everything that he wanted to get out of Briggs. But he's not smart enough to talk backwards. Right. He doesn't pick up on this just yet, which makes me think he has never had a vision of the Red Room. I don't think he's ever made that connection. Right. I don't think so either. He's not special. So we're going to cut now to the Martell Manor where Catherine Martell and Puzzle Master Andrew Packard. Andrew does legitimately solve one of the layers. So with the... Phases of the moon and the glyphs, he's able to decipher those as numbers somehow and is able to... <laughs> he kept pressing stuff. Yeah, I was like, he just kept trying different stuff. What? But the the order of the buttons that he presses, he eventually decides coincide with the date that the box was left for her. And this does cause a drawer to open up that slides open and reveals yet another box 
that needs to be solved. And they solve it. <laughs> yep. He gives it the old Pete Martell method and smashes it with a rolling pin. That's right. And this gives us what I believe to be the final box. It's a small rectangular metal box that is befuddling to Catherine. But she holds it like it's... Yeah, like it's treasured gold. She's like, yeah. oh. <laughs> oh, it's a silver ingot. What have we here? <laughs> but it's clearly just a machined metal box that's been yes. carved up. That is all it is. So they're getting closer to whatever that is. Uh, then we have a, well, what I was going to say a very wholesome scene, but what begins is a wholesome scene. We have uh, C- Coop meeting up with Annie for a dance at the, is it Blue Pine Lodge? This is the roadhouse. Or the Blue right? the blue Pine Room? Oh, it's the roadhouse. Yeah, this is the roadhouse. This is the Bang Bang Bar. I thought this was the event, event room at the Great Northern. No, this is, for some reason, the Roadhouse is closed this evening, as I assume it's closed because they're preparing for Miss Twin Peaks the following night. Because it's before 9.30. Right. Yeah, and this is just the, I don't even know what this is, rehearsal? Like, <laughs> why are the, you know... Like, I think it's just a, come think, dance in this room while we get everything set up. Yeah, I'm pretty it, sure I saw a toad It dancing. may just be kind of a pregame to the, the next night. But it's definitely a dance, and Coop is there to meet Annie. He coaxes her out onto the floor, and they end up doing a little bit of smooching. And uh, mid-smooch, <laughs> Mary Milford decides that he needs to address the crowd, but has a, a bit of difficulty. He does. Is this, is this thing on? on? Uh, that's like one of the Classic. best callbacks to the pilot. Yes. We've come full like, circle with Mayor Milford. Yeah, who would have ever thought this character that we laughed at so much in the pilot would have such a role in the series after he was missing for like, you know, 15 <laughs> episodes. So he's struggling with the microphone. And uh, so uh, as, as Cooper and Annie are dancing, uh, they are talking about how it's like two people stepping as one. And Annie seems like she's got the knack for it already because her parents used to dance the Lindy. Which is the mm-hmm. the track I looked up for the intro to our episode today. Do you know what the Lindy was named after? I don't. Uh, Charles Lucky Lindy Lindbergh. He's a famous aviator. Ah. Well, look at that tie. He's a regular old John Justice Wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> I should have called it the Wheelie. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she also says that she wants to enter Miss Twin Peaks. And Cooper's response is... Well, you're the queen. And this leads to, for me, the most chilling moment of the episode. The sound goes away. The lights go down. We show Mayor Milford on stage, but he gets blacked out. There's a spotlight. This is the moment Tyler suddenly said. It is happening again. <laughs> yes, it is happening again. The giant appears, and you can't hear him. There's just this droning soundtrack. As he waves his hands and mouths, no. 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 And I get chills every time this happens. I just got confused. Like, is he in love with Coop? Like, you're supposed to be with me. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Don't you see? It was me all along. It was always me. Pretty sure he's saying, don't go down this road. Yeah. For me, it was uh, a lot like there's a scene in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy for for mm-hmm. anybody who's seen it. And they're in the room with the collector played by Benicio Del Toro. And they are talking about the Infinity Stone that they're trying to sell. And his assistant goes to reach for it. 
it's this thing like if she grabs it, it's just going to explode and kill her and do, cause all this damage. But as she's reaching for it, there's a, a background character being kept in a tube that jumps up and starts knocking on the glass. Like, no, 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 no. This is bad. Everybody watch. Everybody look. Everybody stop her. And it's a lot like that. Just this somebody in the background seeing what's going on and saying, no, don't let this happen. And it was just, it just makes me shudder. That's just me. I like that. Shudder. But, uh, it's a warning. Yeah. As it always is with the giant. So Pete wakes up in his truck. It's about dusk. Sun's going down. Uh, who knows how long Audrey and Jack have been in the plane. Hours. About five seconds. Jack's plane takes off, and Pete gets out of the truck and watches it take off and looks a little crestfallen. Audrey, this this girl he just met, watches this guy's plane take off who he's never met. Yeah. And is somehow <laughs> feeling this notebook-style love story to him. It's <laughs> like, those crazy kids are going to make it. Now, Audrey has lost the man of her dreams to Brazil. She gives her the old big head and says, oh, honey, he'll come back. No, he won't. What he will do is take her fishing. Because Jack said he would take her fishing, and they never did. Who's surprised? <laughs> well, next, Leo's freaking. <laughs> he's freaking out. He is losing it. <laughs> he is. As he's as he's freaking out, Wyndham Earl has... I'm sorry, this, this makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Just the cut to this scene. <laughs> it is... Out of control. See, has it just been like trees in the wind up to this point as the, the segue cut? Pretty much. Is this where we, we go yeah. from Pete and Audrey to just yeah. trees being blown by wind to Leo freaking out? Yep. And somehow Wyndham Earl has put together Jupiter and Saturn <clears throat> into discovering the location of the Black Lodge in a way I just don't get. He just starts overlaying stuff, and I don't know... I don't know what's changed. I don't know what's new. What is this software he's using? Windows Maps 95. <laughs> yeah. Or 89. And it does exactly what he wants it yep, to. Yep, perfectly. Bullshit. Look, for plot's sake, it works just <laughs> like he wants it to. Clippy pops up and says, it looks like you're trying to find the Black Lodge. <laughs> we have a template for that. <laughs> like, is Leo just screaming because uh, Major Briggs is just... I think so. Freaking out. I think he's at that mm-hmm. point. Oh, you're doing this? I'm gonna just do in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Oh, are we freaking out? I can freak out. <laughs> yeah. I can do that too. I can freak out. Yeah, real sign good. me up. Watch I'm this. on board. The key, the key is to touch your head. But uh, there's also some more imagery of uh, Cooper and Annie as Mayor Milford is still trying to figure out the microphone and just says, <laughs> he says over imagery of Cooper and Annie, there's something wrong. Yeah. Something about this isn't right. I love that. Then there's... A pretty interesting montage of shots. No, yeah, all these shots. I mean, we get the... I see Dung Jangle's locker. Yep. So that's cool. <laughs> yep. No, it goes It goes in this order. We've got the Roadhouse, the Streets of Twin Peaks, the Double R Diner, the High School Interior, Double R Diner Exterior, the Great Northern Interior, the Station Interior, and then the map that they have set up in the conference room. And then the damn trees blown in the wind. Then more trees blown in the wind. Yep. We're back in the woods. We have a spotlight. And Bob's arm just kind of produces from behind a tree, reaching toward the spotlight. I know that denim anywhere I see. There's only one (laughs) denim-clad spirit in this world. (laughs) And that's Killer Bob. He's got CPD. (laughs) He does have CPD. He's shaking. He's Pretty sure he's causing the CPD. I'm pretty sure this is what's causing everything 
that's going on with the shaking. Yeah. Okay. So he steps out mm. from behind his tree and into the spotlight, standing over a puddle of oil, maybe? Mud. Scorched scorched engine oil is a nice a nice little uh reference there, Dave. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the reflection of this oil or mud is uh, an image of the red drapes from the Red Room kind of blowing in the wind. And amazing the, yeah. the music cue that happens at the same time. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. It is. Weird stuff and scene. That's the Love episode. That Love that ending. That is a great ending. Yeah, it's it's this really cool like harbinger of things to come. Like, Well, it's tying. We're, it's just tying. We're here things together too which i really love because it's not like we've talked about or seen you know red room related things um in a long time and i like that it's just tying it together with with bob and all of that it's it's good i get chills that's a good ending that's a I, i like that ending a lot this was a fun a fun episode for me i i really enjoyed it i i liked that it was kind of chaotic in a way especially Mm -hmm. just with the added things of the handshaking and then even with Ben turning around in his office, a couple of those quick shots were just, I don't know, it's, you start making connections, I feel like. I think mm-hmm. they know that the end is in sight. I even felt it even with, you know, early on. I think it was the only time we really saw Lucy in this episode, but, you know, she was referencing D-Day. Like, she's going to pick a father, <laughs> like, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, like, we're wrapping yeah. that up, too. Um, so. I also think that was kind of a nod to... Like when she said D-Day is coming, it's like, yeah, there's about to be basically war. Yeah, shit's about to go down. Like, yeah, we're about to storm the beaches and it's going to yeah. get weird. So I loved that. I loved, I loved the way this episode played out. It was just mm-hmm. so creative. I don't know if that was uh, uh, Maggie and Jake's father's doing, but... I, Mr. Gyllenhaal. Papa Gyllenhaal, thank you. Papa Jills, we call him. Yeah, pretty fantastic episode, and I, I think there was a lot of great dialogue, and I think that we've each been able to come up with a specific line that spoke to us as individuals, as people, on a on a deep level. Uh, damn fine, scale of, if I'm being honest. On a scale of one to five, James, early four. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, I think you get dibs this time. Sure. Uh, my line comes uh, from Agent Cooper. I like a lot of things uh, about this line. It's not just um, the reference to the fish, but it's just the way he talks about uh, the Black Lodge when talking about Wyndham Earl. Uh, it's a great, another great scene with him and, and Major Briggs. When Wyndham Earl arrived in Twin Peaks, I assumed he had come for vengeance. For me. But I miscalculated. He has insinuated himself into the lives of people I care for. He has murdered innocents. He has engaged us in subterfuge and red herring. The fish I don't particularly care for. But all of these acts are merely camouflage. He's been after something else all along. The Black Lodge. The Black Lodge. The Dwelling Roadhouse. It's funny you saying the roadhouse. I was actually rewatching that scene of him and Hawk when he was when Hawk was talking about the lodges and he talks about the dweller on the threshold and it cuts to Cooper and he says the dweller on the threshold. <laughs> <laughs> There's something great about the way Kyle MacLachlan delivers those lines. It's not fully a whisper. It kind of is, but it's just a I don't know. It's great delivery. He's done it several times. Uh, but I really liked 
just the way he delivered that line, especially coming down to the stuff about the Black Lodge and then the the red herring was just a nice, funny line. Yeah, totally. So I guess I'll go next. And mine, I got to go back to my boy Pete Martell. And as he's about to take Audrey away from her escapade at uh, old Jack's jet, but he seems to have a cure for a broken heart for her. So good. <laughs> He's gonna take her fishing to mend that wound. Just so you know, Dave, that was Perfect. that was also my line, but I I gave it up when Tyler told me. Ah, uh, yours too. It's a good one. I love it. Well, yours was good too. I hope Tyler's is equally excellent. I'm sure it is. It is not. Ah, oh, come on. Be. It's gotta be. It is greater. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us with it. Let's hear it. So. I have to make a speech about saving our planet, which is a great concept, but I have no idea how to go about it. Yet. I do know that people have got to stop sinking their beer cans in Pearl Lake when they're fishing. Beer cans? And, um, styrofoam never dies for as long as you live. <laughs> Doesn't? <laughs> true, Andy. So true. Oh, I'm glad we get some Andy and Lucy back finally in this episode. Yeah. That is yeah. a that is a damn fine line, Tommy. These are gold it exchanges. Is. They are. Those were so true. Indeed. Damn fine. All right, guys. Well, I think it was a pretty great episode. <laughs> do you want to go uh one to five James Hurley foreheads on how we feel foreheads. about it? Let's do it. This is talking foreheads. Talking foreheads. James! Patrick, our scholar, what do you give the path to the Black Lodge? I love this episode. Four and a half foreheads. Just four and a half. That's good, man. That's a lot of fun. I feel similarly, and I'm saving my five, because we have two episodes to go after this one, which is crazy. We've almost finished season two. But the path to the Black Lodge from me... Also gets four and a half foreheads. Just four and a half. It all rests on Tyler, head of the horse mullins. T-bone could buckle up. <laughs> buckle up. It would have been a five. What? If it weren't for certain events. <laughs> are we talking about the Zane plane? Yes, we are. Well, as it's not five, what are you going to give it? I am the same, four and a half. Whoa. All right. Just four Ooh. and a half. Talking forever. We're almost there, guys. We're almost there. We are almost there. We have the penultimate episode coming up. It's called Night of Decision. It is a doozy. Is that what it's called? I don't know why I thought it was always called Miss Twin Peaks. I pulled it up on the fandom here, and it actually says... Episode 28, The Night of Decision, or Miss Twin Peaks. Okay, I see it as both, too. So, not only does it have <laughs> two titles deaths attached, but it has two titles. So, Tyler, you can have some fun with that next week. Yep. Great. We're about to put season two to bed. There's, there's some big stuff about to happen that I'm really excited to talk about, and we will get there 
In the meantime, if we missed anything, if you have anything you want to reach out to us and say, we are available at TalkingBackwardsPod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at TalkingBackward. We are also on Instagram with the tag at TalkingBackwardsPod. Tyler. I need to do some shout outs. What you got? Got some new followers this week. Followers where? Uh, I got two on Twitter. But what account are we talking about? At at the Egg Deviler. Oh, intriguing. You know, I saw a post from the Egg Deviler this week. It's pretty cool. Yes, yes, it was. The (laughs) eggs are not what they seem. Hmm. A quick shout out to at Jay Weasel. Oh. Wait, like as in the Pine Weasel? uh, Sure. Um, Also, we have at Alex underscore S. Thank you, Jay Weasel and so, Alex underscore S for the follows. Great to have you. But also, due to my my new post, my recent post, I got some Uh-oh. followers on my Instagram. Oh. They already followed me on Twitter. Stephen Hines, welcome. And then we also have Resner Lynch. Welcome. Mr. Popular over here. Glad to have you be a part of the multiple facets that we are available to be reached on. Tell your friends, tell your family, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get Talking Backwards out there. Let's get all the Twin Peaks fans involved. Let's have a good time. We'll see you next week for the Night of Decision or Miss Twin Peaks on Talking Backwards. Bye, everybody. Ghosts can do whatever they want. (laughs) Ever heard of Casper? Read about it. He can't do anything he wants. He's friendly. He can't be bad. Oh, you haven't seen Bad Casper? (laughs) Bad Casper band name called it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh.